Good morning. Mark chapter 1. We're going to finish chapter 1 today. So, Father, in the precious name of Jesus, come on, we're so thankful to have time to meditate upon the life of Jesus. We're thankful for the word of God. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would settle among us, minister to our hearts. Church, I just want you to say to my friends this morning, just say, I'm all yours, Lord. Lord, whatever you have for us today, we're yours. Speak to us, move us. May we be better disciples of Jesus when we leave this place. We love you more than life itself. You're wonderful. In Jesus' name we pray all the saints say amen. Amen. Well, I thought this week about the Booths, William and Catherine Booth, you know, were the leaders of the Salvation Army movement. And during their lives, they weren't looked on with great fondness by many. They they weren't particularly um, neat and nice and well put together. They They really liked to minister to the drunkards and the addicts and the prostitutes and um you know when when you go that way and you get all in ministering to whoever god brings sometimes the religious folks aren't too happy about that they want you to be buttoned up just right charles spurgeon said of of the booths he said if salvation army were wiped out of london five thousand extra policemen could not fill its place in the repression of crime and disorder And, and the idea was not only that the booths and the Salvation Army were ministering to the drunkards, to the thieves, to the addicts, but um, that they were effectively changing broken, hurting communities of despair. The gospel was penetrating and bringing life and goodness and peace. Well, Catherine Booth said this. uh, I just wanted to read you this quote where I'm really trying to get today. She said this, the more I see a fashionable religion, the more I despise it. Indeed, how can fashionable religion be any other than despicable? She said, I was thinking the other day, what a reproduction of the same classes of character this age presents as we're in Jerusalem when Jesus lived and died there. The Pharisees of that day wanted a Christ. Oh yes, but he must be a reigning Christ. And now there are thousands talking about a second coming who will neither see him nor receive him in the person of his humble and persecuted followers. Christ manifested in flesh, vulgar flesh, they could not receive. No, they were looking for him in the clouds. What a sensation there would be if he were to come again in a carpenter's coat. How many would recognize him then, I wonder? She said, I'm afraid it would be the old story, crucify him, away with him. Whoever denieth that Jesus has come in the flesh is antichrist. She's quoting 1 John there. Oh, for grace always to see him where he is to be seen. For verily, flesh and blood doth not reveal this unto us. Well, bless the Lord, she said. I keep seeing him risen again in the forms of junkards and ruffians of all descriptions. She's saying, I see the life of Jesus as drunkards are born again. Society loves dignified religion. It always has. Religion uh, comes with cultural norms, social norms. There are certain social pressures that we begin to bend to. And, and the problem has always been in the church that sometimes we begin to love our social, cultural norms more than we love the gospel and its power. When you, when you want stability and peace and the idea of a drunkard coming in and shouting makes you want to pull your hair out, you might have a problem. 
So many times I've sat in a service and a man or a woman begins to really weep and weep loudly. And someone will pull me aside after service and say, that was distracting. And I say, I don't know if Jesus is in the room. I might think he might say, you know, this is the main event. <laughs> and and, and you, you have to, you're forced to, guys, to think about David dancing before the ark. And, and Saul's daughter saying, how, how dare you dance like that? It's undignified. And David saying, I'll be un, more undignified than this. And do you remember the, the, the judgment upon her was that she would no longer be fruitful because she cared too much about appearance. And Jesus, you know, prostitutes come and weep before him and they wet his feet with their tears. And men say, if he was a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this is touching him. And Jesus telling Simon the Pharisee, I have, I have a story for you. And you remember the story that there's a person forgiven just a little bit, and then there's a person forgiven a lot of bit. And he says, who do you think will love him more? And he says, well, I guess the one that was forgiven a lot. And Jesus says, those who are forgiven much love much. And, and that should be the testimony of the church. If you don't understand that you've been forgiven much, we need to start back with Romans 1, okay? There's no one in the room who has not been forgiven a, a, an incalculable debt. Your sins are gross and piled high before the Lord. You can never get your way out of that hole. And what the church does, though, is we get, we get used to our style and our culture and our buttoned up. And we forget that, that what matters to God is the healing of the nations by the gospel of Christ Jesus. And as we study the gospel of Mark, what I'm really after this morning, what I'm after in this series, is that we get a fresh look at Jesus. And I think what what Catherine Booth was trying to say is there's no greater revelation of the glory of Christ Jesus than a naked man on the cross, bruised and crushed. And, and all of the religious folks says that's vulgar and God would never. But those who see him and really know him realize the beauty of Messiah hanging on a tree saying, I love you with an immeasurable love. I'll suffer on your behalf. But again, if all you want is the same old, same old. You may miss what God's doing altogether. Okay, so as we read in Mark chapter 1 today, we're going to find Jesus. Remember early in chapter 1 when Jesus began to teach and they said, he, he teaches not like the scribes and Pharisees, but like a man with authority. And the crowds are like, what is that? What we're going to find is this clash of authority as Jesus' ministry begins to roll. And, and Jesus' values are going to trump religious culture's values. And he's okay with that. Let's read the text and, and we'll get where we're going. Mark chapter 1, we're reading verse 29 through 45 today. You guys with me so far? And immediately he left the synagogue and he entered the house of Simon and Andrew. Again, that would be Peter and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law, she lay ill with a fever and immediately they told him about her. He came, he took her by the hand and he lifted her up. And the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases, and he cast out many demons. He would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone's looking for you, he says to them. Let us go on to the next towns 
that I may preach there also, for that's why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, sow yourself to the priest. Offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places. And people were coming to him from every quarter. And immediately he left the synagogue and he entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. So throw yourself back in context. We read in chapter one that Jesus is now called four disciples. They're all fishermen so far. The four disciples are two sets of brothers. Remember, there was Simon and Andrew who were working fishing when Jesus called them. Then there were James and John who were working on their father's boat. Uh, Remember we said that it's very likely that James and John's family had a successful fishing business. Uh, Peter and Andrew seem to be grinding it out a little bit, blue collar. Um, But either way, they're, they're all called to abandon their work and to follow Jesus. They go to the synagogue. Jesus begins to teach as one with authority. As he's teaching, a demon begins to cry out, I know who you are. Jesus silences him, drives out the demon. And this is where we pick up in our text today, that he left the synagogue very earliest of his ministry. He leaves the synagogue and he goes to the house of Simon and Andrew, Peter and Andrew, with James and John, with the four. And they tell him, they say, um, Peter's mother-in-law lays sick with a fever. Now, it's Sabbath. So if you will, they've been to church. And they come home. And I imagine that Peter was saying, you know, the food's usually pretty good. But, but the old lady's laying sick today. And, um, you know, every family member, every family has one member that can really cook. And in our family, it's my father-in-law. He can get down. My mother-in-law doesn't cook, and we are all thankful for that. We worship the God who was and is and is to come, that she's out of the kitchen, okay? When you burn water, we got a problem. And so families talk. Families talk about how great, how great the cook is, how great. And they get home from church. Again, Sabbath is Saturday. They, they go into the house, and, and they say, oh, you know, food's usually pretty good, but she, she's sick. And Jesus He's going to get up and go to her, but the text wants you to see that he's not at the synagogue anymore, that there's not a great crowd watching or listening, that that what the text, I think, wants you to see is he's not performing for anybody. He's not, he's not on a healing crusade. He just knows that there's a woman who lays ill. And what we're finding in the scriptures, and uh, a com- great commentator, uh, Archie France, points out that what we're finding is that Jesus, he's not a shaman. He's not, he's not some kind of uh, healing ritualist who's going to go place to place and, you know, do a little dance and shake stuff out and pour out spices and conjure something up. He's not that. He's just a man who possesses divine authority. And he's going to exercise it when and where he pleases. So, it, so he's not, he's not going to go um, and say to all the disciples, you know what we could do is we could drag her out in public. You know, get a good crowd around, 
and then I could, I could do a dance and shout and jump. I'll teach you my tricks. And then we could heal her, and then we'd probably get a lot of attention. No, he just, he just goes to the room. He, again, he doesn't dance. There's no need to dance. He just grabs her by the hand and says, get up. And immediately she's healed, and the fever leaves her. And she, and she goes to the kitchen, because that's really what this was all about to start with, okay? This is the, food needed to be, the food needed to be right. She jumps up, and she goes to the kitchen. She begins to prepare their kind of Sabbath meal. Now, there's a part of the text that modern readers miss. And, and let's just, one of the good things about reading the scripture slowly and talking about it, we can uncover all of this. Notice that, that what the text says was, verse 32, that evening at sundown, they brought him all who were sick. Why do they come at sundown? Because, because it's Sabbath, and maybe it's because they weren't supposed to travel, but Capernaum's not a big town, so um, don't imagine that the travel was too far. But they've accepted the, the norm, what the Pharisees are going to say for the rest of the Gospels, that healing should not be done on the Sabbath. Little do they know that Jesus is already doing it. He's already driving out demons, and he's already healing the woman with a fever. And, and, and so what they do is they wait till sundown. And remember, again, Sabbath is sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. And once the sun goes down on Saturday, then they all rush to the house with all of their sick. But there's, but there's something there for us. It's, Jesus will use these analogies when the Pharisees say, you shouldn't, heal on, you shouldn't heal on Sabbath. And he says, if your donkey was falling in a pit, don't you get it out? I think a good analogy would be if your kid's bleeding out, you stop the bleeding, period. Who cares what day it is? And, and Jesus kind of has this posture. He's going to honor Sabbath. But he's trying to show them that the, the heart of God is not this, this kind of false religious piety that wants to keep social norm and control the heart of God is healing for the nations. And when there's a daughter of God lying sick on the, on the bed, Jesus just goes. And I, and I think there's something for the church to meditate upon here. Because again, so many times what we want is to keep our religious norm. But, but I think, again, we see someone weeping in church and so many of us get, get offended. And, um, or, or someone dances and, and, and everyone gets riled up. Now, now I'm with you. I've been hit by dancers, you know? That's not a joke. I sit on the front, and so someone comes by, and they, they throw one of these right in my head, okay? You can be a little more mindful of my face in your dancing, okay? But, in the, but on the same stroke, my God, if what we're not after is bound, people caught in sin, being liberated, if what we're after is not weeping turned to joy, if we're after it is not like people with broken marriages finding healing and wholeness and being ecstatic, then what are, what are we after? I don't really care about keeping some form of false society religious norm. I think that's really, really boring. And so when we pray, we pray this Wednesday night, God, send us the drunkards. Man, I mean it. And, and, and I would just challenge you. I've, I've done this and it's kind of like a silly joke, but it's not also a joke. Um, Pastor Seth thinks that he's going to like out worship me and out read me and out fast me and he's going to be more spiritual than me. And I'm like, no, you're never, not once, not never will you be better than me. Um, but we've kind of always had this joke and, and I mean it. If, if I'm in a meeting and someone's weeping and God's moving, man, I, I don't want to allow offense to, to rise up. I'm getting my butt in the altar and go after it. Or, or celebrate maybe 
But it's like when people grab the hem of Jesus's garment and they touch healing, be so careful that your heart doesn't get bitter or judgmental or you don't start saying to yourself, oh, he's faking it or he just wants attention. Maybe he does. Maybe he does just want attention. I don't know. But I sure don't want to be the person saying, how dare you dance, David? Um, I, 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 and, and nobody wants to see me dance. Okay. That just, God doesn't even want to see that. I promise. But, but I, I, I'm going to put my face in the carpet and thank Jesus and press. And I want us to be the kind of church that, that's, you know, sorry, I'm talking now. When we talk about altar ministry, the reason we do altar ministry and we call people to the altar every week is because we're trying to be a people who are desperate, who just want to touch him. And Jesus teaches us. He's teaching on prayer. And he says, he tells this parable about a man uh, who was asleep in his house and a neighbor comes in the middle of the night and knocks and says, uh, I need bread because I have a visitor. And, and the man's like, go away. I'm trying to sleep. And the neighbor keeps knocking. And Jesus says, eventually the man will get up and give him bread just because it's so inconvenient. He just wants him to be quiet. Jesus is saying, that's how I want you to pray. What is Jesus saying? Like, I want you to get in my face. Get a hold of me. And come, come. that's why we, with the altar, I'm like, come with all your tears and weeping and challenges. Come on your stale days. Sometimes, some days you don't, you know, you don't have any tears, but you just feel stale. I want to get in the altar and just, just try to get a hold of him. And just say, Jesus, I need you. Kind of declaration of my life is dependent upon your presence and your ministry. I need daily bread for my soul, God. But if you're so concerned that people might think a certain way of you, I can't tell you how many times, and I try to model this, so forgive me if I don't model it well, but I'll, even on Wednesday nights, I'll come and let people pray for me, and I, want, and I try to confess when I'm struggling, because I want to model for you that it doesn't matter what level of spiritual leadership you carry or how long you've walked with God, you still need Jesus. Okay, and... So many times in the church, we go, I don't want to go to the altar because I don't want them to think something about me. I don't care what you think about me. I really don't. Um, I try not to care. Some days I care, uh, and then I just, you know, take a big nap and try to forget about that. Um, but, but you know what I'm trying to say. I, I'm not going, I'm not trying to earn some religious standard of he made it. Like, I, I want us to be a people. And I, and I love when our, even our elders will come to the altar to receive prayer. I want us to be people who just, you know, all we really have is the ability to get a hold of Jesus. And if that's not what we're doing, and if what we're trying to do is to keep the norm, um, I think we're in trouble. And so it's Saturday, it's Sabbath, and, and they wait until the sun goes down. I think Jesus would have been very glad to, to help anybody who came early. And that's what we find with Simon's mother-in-law. She was just in the right place at the right time with the right skills, okay? Charcuterie. Um, but we want to be the kind of people who are willing to stop for the broken. You know, we're in a prayer night or worship services. Someone's weeping, man, we can slow down and stop. And it's never inappropriate to bury your heart before God. Never inappropriate. It's inappropriate to whack me in the face with your dancing. Okay. I might punch you back next time. Okay. Just so you guys know. So they flood the house at sundown. And, and many who are sick and they're, they're ate up with demonic oppression come and they receive healing. And then the scripture says that, that Jesus didn't allow the demons to speak because they knew who he was. Now, from there, we've stumbled into an idea that scholars sometimes refer to as messianic secret, the messianic secret. 
And we've said so far that what we're finding is that for the first eight chapters of the Gospel of Mark, the disciples are really learning who Jesus is, right? They've only been walking with him so far. We're in chapter one. So they've only been walking with him for a bit. And, and they're kind of watching. And there's only four of them so far. And Jesus is kind of on this, this path of revealing himself to them kind of as he wills, when he wants. And so there are many times where demons will come and begin to shout, you're the son of God. And he'll just say, shut up. And, and it's as if he's saying, I, not yet. I'm going to reveal that when I'm ready to reveal that. And we've, we're going to find the same thing when he heals the leper, right? Because again, there's so much beauty here that I think we miss. But a leper comes, Jesus heals the leper and says, shut it. Don't tell anybody. Don't, don't tell anybody. And, and why does he do that? Well, if you read the text slowly, you'll see. It's because it says immediately every town he went, he was driven to the wilderness. He couldn't walk anywhere without the crowds flocking around him. Now, that's a, that's a strange nuance to the modern reader because what we see there is that Jesus is actually not yet trying to just attract crowds. He's trying to work with these disciples. And so he's not necessarily looking to make this big proclamation and gather these big crowds and to show the world how glorious he is. He's, he's not necessarily after that yet. He's, he's starting with these disciples. He's going to preach and teach and work, kind of marinate them, get them going. And so he says to the leper, please keep your mouth shut because I'd like to be able to go to the bathroom without being attacked from every angle. Um, of course, the leper doesn't. And so he, he has a night, what we're finding. So the Sabbath day, he preaches in the synagogue. He drives out a demon. He goes back for kind of church dinner. Mother-in-law's sick. So he lays hands. He heals her. The sun goes down. Everybody comes flocking to the house. And what, what, we, what we see here is that Capernaum, and particularly the house of Peter, kind of becomes Jesus' home base, kind of becomes the place where they'll retreat to, where they come when they need rest. And so he's, he's kind of established now this, this home base at Peter's house. We assume that he sleeps there. There's some, some speculation about, you know, there's, there's this kind of octagonal shape house that they found in Capernaum that sometimes people try to say was the house of Peter. We don't know that at all. It's just really great for tourism. Um, so, so know that when you go to Israel. But, but it would have been a house like that. And, and Jesus would have slept there and, and ministered from there. And so they have this night of ministry. And then early in the morning, Peter and Andrew and James and John, they wake up and they can't find him. Can't find Jesus anywhere. Well, eventually they find him. He's out on the hills praying. And, and what we see there is that intimacy with God is so crucially important to Jesus. Um, he has, he's had a, a busy day full of people. And he says, oh, I got to, you know, sleep's vital for your body. It is. We need to take care of our little hunks of flesh. And you need rest. But sometimes even more important is to have time alone with God. And so I think Jesus was tired, but even more, he needed to be in the presence of his father and soak and pray. So they finally find him out in the wilderness and they say, come on, there's crowds already waiting, man. We're, we, got, we, got, we got a revival going. We got hundreds of people already lined up. And Jesus says, no, we're going to walk on to the next town. And, and there again, what do we see? Jesus is not, he's not just after the crowds. He's on mission. He has a vision. So it would make a lot of sense. He's got a home base. He's got a house in Capernaum. He's already healed a lot of people. He's already got a kind of a flock. Any one of us would have said, here's Church of Capernaum. Put me on your TV, man. God TV, come film me. I'm ready. And Jesus says, no, that's not what we're going to do. We're going to keep walking. We're going to go to the next town. And that shook the disciples' whole idea of ministry up. What? 
then it, we're told that he preaches throughout Galilee. And as he's walking, we run into this scenario with the leper. Now, you know this, but let's just think about it because it's so beautiful. The leper came imploring him, imploring him, begging him, and kneeling, said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Jesus was moved with pity, moved with compassion. And he stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I will be clean. Now, let's just lay out the obvious. Leprosy in this time period is virtually incurable. Um, Everyone knows that. Leprosy is also contagious, okay? And so lepers were not to uh, come up to a crowd or come up to people. They were supposed to walk back and yell, leper, leper, so that everyone could keep their distance. Some of y'all acted that way during the, the COVID pandemic, you know, each his own, whatever, whatever. Um, but, but the idea was similar, was this is infectious, you need to stay away. So Jesus is walking and the leper's not acting right. Okay, he's not doing what he's supposed to do. And so he, he's imploring Jesus. That language is so strong, imploring, begging Jesus, please, if you will, you can make me clean. And leprosy, it demanded loneliness, right? Like you weren't allowed to live in community. And obviously there was an element of physical touch that was missing. No one touched you or hugged you. And as he's kind of begging and crying, and I think Jesus knows full well what's going to happen when he does this. He's going to tell the guy, be quiet. But the guy's going to go run his mouth anyway, and he knows it. Um, so Jesus could have just ignored him, and ignoring him might have been more convenient for Jesus because then he could have gone to the bathroom in town without being chased. But the imploring, good God, the imploring messed with him. The, 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 the crying moved Jesus to pity, moved his heart. It caused an emotional response within the heart of God. And, and again, all of the religious leaders would have said, ah, 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 don't come near me. Stop. Jesus, Jesus moved with pity, touches him. No, no. But again, he's very confident in his own authority. So he touches him and he says, I will be clean. First time the man's been touched in years. No religious leaders ever slowed down for him for sure. And, and the leprosy just goes. Why does it go? Because Jesus told it to. And he's modeling for us self-sacrifice and compassion. And he's not so concerned with his own well-being. You know, again, we're the COVID pandemic, everybody's running from each other. Um, I, one of the greatest, ah, I don't tell this story to pat myself on the back at all because there are some moms in our church who are superhuman, I'm pretty confident, who take care of like 24 kids and um, they're superhuman. It was a couple months ago now that, uh, maybe a month ago, that Haley and I got a, a DSS call at like 2 a.m. And they, they bring us three little girls. It's 2 a.m. And uh, got the oldest one to sleep. The younger two were young, young. And I told Haley, I, I don't really sleep anyway. Well, the, the bad thing is that I really get sleeping good at like 6 a.m. I'm up all night and then at like 6 a.m. I fall asleep, which really stinks because you got to get up, you know. Um, very inconvenient. Um, but I told Haley, I said, go to sleep. I got the kids. Um, and you can get up early and I'll, I'll go to sleep at five or six and I'll sleep tonight. Kids are ate up with lice, just ate up with lice. And I'm rocking two babies on each shoulder, literally. They're just a scratching. And I'm going, oh, I'm getting it. I know I'm getting it. <laughs> I know it. 
But there's a place in the Christian life where God moves you beyond your own concern of your own well-being. And as I'm rocking these babies, just just knowing, if you guys want to come on stage, I'll rub you a little bit. Um, just just knowing what's happening. And I was just thinking, Lord, thank you, Jesus, that you've delivered me from selfishness. Thank you, Lord. And, and, and I'm not fully, you know, I'm being delivered of selfishness. I've still got junk, for sure. Don't hear me say I'm perfect. Um, but I'm, I'm just, thank you, Lord, that I'm able to love people and not just be concerned with, Lord, I'm not catch it. And the next morning, I don't know, like 50 of our women are in there doing hair treatments, and I got a hair treatment too. It was just great. Um, but we see that in Jesus of like, one, he's not concerned with catching anything. Two, he's really not concerned with you seeing him with someone who you think he shouldn't be with. Do you know what I'm saying? When the prostitutes come and all the religious are doing, uh, you don't care. He doesn't care. Because the heart of gospel ministry is, is really found in this moment of pity. The heart of gospel ministry is healing for the broken. So Jesus will say to the religious, you know, uh, healthy people don't need a doctor. I'm, I'm here for the sick. And, and I think as a church, we need to just bite down and just, with Jesus, say, we're here for the sick, man. How, we, we don't care how much crying you need to do. Perfectly appropriate. We don't care if you dance. Some of us might need to wear a helmet. And you guys kind of hear what I'm saying? Like, man, the downtrodden, the broken. I, I want us to be the kind of people, I think one of the most, ah, I'm talking too much today. The uh, Sometimes in, in, in revival movements, there are these encounters with the spirit where people will fall or people will cry or people, you know, our pastor used to say, if you take a fork and stick it in a light socket, uh, every one of you going to react differently. Um, you know what I mean by that? There's this, the spirit comes with power and some of you are very solemn and you're just, thank you, Jesus. And some of you, you know, you're like a kid at Christmas, you're rolling and shouting and jumping and neither is necessarily wrong. It's just a reaction. Um, but many times in moves or you see it on TV, right? The people come and knock somebody down and they just keep walking. And one of our mentors used to say, one of the, one of the things that's really marks a move of God is, is not necessarily people getting knocked down, but even if people are knocked down, people are still praying. Do you understand what I mean by that? You watch on TV and they, they want to push and keep walking. And um, I don't really care if you fall or, or not. I, don't, I really don't. Um, but if you fall and you still got a problem, <laughs> I'm just going to hit my knees and keep praying with you. And one of my mentors would say, then you know God's moving. When, when the people of the church are not looking to be seen as a great healing revivalist or great man or woman of power, when the people of the church see the person weeping in front of them and can't move on. You see what I'm saying? Like I see, I see this, and I that doesn't that doesn't mean that you need to yell at someone or be in their face. Sometimes it's just leaning back and extending your hands and keep praying. Um, but but where you're more, your heart's more broken and burdened for the person than you are wanting to be seen as a great spiritual giant. Um, and and that's what I'm saying is like, man, let's get to the place where I've seen sometimes I leave the church and there's still people in the parking lot just praying for each other and talking. And I think that makes the heart of Jesus so glad, so satisfied when his people move beyond the religious norm of showing up in church and looking right and using the right language and telling everybody, I'm doing good. Yep, doing great. Business is good. And then going home and knowing that you're just as broken as everybody else. 
I think what Jesus was looking for is communities that, that really are, are riddled with compassion. Just ate up with love and compassion for people, no matter the mess. I think, you know, sometimes there are messy messes. And, and sometimes there's, there's discipline that needs to take place or there's discipleship that needs to happen. But we don't want to be people who say, take your junk somewhere else. We want to be people who say, you know, the, the most beautiful revelation of who God is, is Christ Jesus hanging on a tree. Because he loved you while you were a sinner. My worship team, come for me and I'll try to close this. Again, uh, Catherine Booth saying, fashionable religion is indespicable. It is despicable. I love that. Fashionable religion is gross to her. We see in the text today that they find Jesus is a man with authority, not a, not a man with seances. So I think there's good biblical evidence to avoid the need to um, try to teach rituals and prayer. Or Jesus doesn't really do any rituals. He just kind of be healed. I think there's good evidence to lean into the idea of healing and deliverance on the basis of the power of Jesus' name from the text of Scripture. They find Jesus willing to heal on the Sabbath. They haven't learned that yet, but the disciples did. That he's, that he's really not solely concerned with crowds, but he's so moved by individuals and broken people. Think of Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus just weeping. That profound moment where God stands and weeps at the tomb of a friend. Now in 30 seconds, he's going to tell the man to get up. But he's still, we find in God, in the heart of God, right? This is what we're studying, the heart of Jesus. We find compassion and a brokenness and a love. And it's got to it's gotta exist in the church too. It has to. And, and the only way for it to exist here is for us to reject the kind of, we want to be religious and pious, one. Two is for us to reject selfishness. You've got to, church. We've got to move past self-preservation and self-comfort. So this morning, as we're getting ready to launch the season of Connect Groups, um, I I think I say this every time we do Connect Groups, but I want to say it again. It's hard to love people well on a Sunday morning because we're trying to study the Word together. We're trying to worship together. It's not share time, necessarily. Um, but the church historically always did church in communities. They met at homes. They prayed together. They talked. And what I'm worried with Western uh, kind of consumerism is all of you say, we say, I don't say all of you, that's bad. We say, um, no, what's the right group for me? I want to I get something out of it. I don't want to go to a group that I don't get something out of. And I get that. I don't want to waste your time either. But sometimes it's not about what you're getting out of it. It's just about showing up and loving the people in front of you. Let me, let me tell you what you're going to get out of it. You're going to get an opportunity to pray for someone whose marriage has fallen apart. You're going to get an opportunity to stand with someone who's struggling with alcoholism. I could walk through the room and walk through our church and tell you about who's, who's struggling with sickness. There are people in our church with terrible diseases right now who desperately need healing. People in our church whose relationships are falling apart. I could tell you whose dad died, who's struggling with that grieving. I could walk through and tell you all of it. What you get out of doing life in the community of the church is not always, um, you don't, you're not always smarter, you don't always feel stronger. What you get is an opportunity to live like Jesus and to care about somebody other than yourself.
It's huge, it's hugely important. And so this morning, um, as we close and dismiss, they're going to have opportunity to sign up in the lobby. We'll have the QR code on the screens. But I just want to say again, man, forget what do I get out of this and realize that maybe what you're going to get is an opportunity to pray for, to love, to share and care for somebody other than you. The church is, again, not about perceived piety, but healing and wholeness in the gospel. Why don't you stand to your feet? Alter team, if you get in place.